0: Hello and welcome to the fifth season of Scenes a Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host Shoshana Greenberg and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. And be sure to sign up for the new monthly e-newsletter, You'll get more info about the episodes and guests and more ways to engage with musical theater past and present. Sign up now at Scenetosong.substack.com to make sure it's in your inbox. My guest today is Paul Nelson. Paul has a bachelor's in composition from the Peabody Conservatory of Music and an MFA from the NYU Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. He's composed five musicals with subjects ranging from Detroit hair salons to avant-garde Korean poetry, with a sixth one on the way. His most recent musical, Black Hole Wedding, premiered at the last and final New York Musical Theater Festival, or NIMF, in 2019. We're going to talk today about the changing role of music in musical theater. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Hey, Shoshana, thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a pleasure.
0: Well, great. So we'll just go right into our get to know our guest questions. Ooh, okay. (laughs) What was your first experience with a musical?
1: Maybe this is a little unusual, but my first experience was uh, watching my mom play the cello in the pit orchestra. I must have been like four or five years old. And it was in, um, I think, Charleston uh, or Savannah, South Carolina. And, um, you know, that was my first experience. And later I, I sort of took up that mantle and I played the, in the pit orchestra for a local community theater uh, near Baltimore. And that was like so great, right? Because there's so much less pressure being in the pit orchestra than being, you know, an actor. Um, and I did Guys and Dolls and The King and I and West Side Story and the Pajama Game and I was playing violin and it was just great. So you, I think, I don't know, I think you kind of learn certainly music from the inside out, mm-hmm. being in the pit orchestra in a way that you wouldn't, you know, as an, as an actor.
0: Yeah, I, in high school... Um, I had a lot of friends that in the pit orchestra for the high school musicals, and I always thought that would be fun. Um, Well, which musical has had the greatest impact on you?
1: I I feel like all all musical theater nerds will say this same answer. Um, Sunday in the Park with George. It was after college. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Uh, Obviously, I'd been gigging with string quartets and things like that. And uh, I wanted to compose. I wanted to be a composer, but I didn't know, you know, exactly how to do it. And then I saw Sunday in the park and that actually gave me the confidence to get private lessons.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And, you know, it was one of those things where like, you know, you, you want to compose music and one of the things is like, oh, it can't be taught right you can't teach composition but of course you can teach composition and i found a professor at the peabody conservatory who was just amazing and then he took me through all sorts of different styles and i did lots of exercises and then he critiqued the work that i was doing and it was just fantastic and so it was one of those things that sunday in the park with george really kind of gave me the confidence to do that if i hadn't seen it i don't think i would have you know gotten over that 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 hill to to actually start that process. Mm-hmm. Also, at the time, it was a very weird time in sort of in you know in, in composition because everyone was doing twelve tone music, which I personally didn't care for. And it was one of those things where uh, you know at the University of Delaware, where I was, everyone's like, "Oh, the the only way to compose music is twelve tone rows," you know, from Schoenberg, and. It was it was very rigid in terms of the sorts of music that, you know, you were kind of allowed to, to to do. But taking private lessons and my teacher kind of disabused me from all of that. He says, like, there's 30 different ways to compose in modern music. You don't have to do 12 tone. You have this whole range of techniques to choose from and go wild and have fun. And I'm like,
2: yes,
0: <laughs> thank you
1: like the sense of relief that you get you know actually composing things you like Mm
0: -hmm. you know i'm glad i'm glad sunday in the park led you down that path what is a musical people would be surprised to found find out you love and why would they be surprised
1: so one of the things that i did um i used to play in a community orchestra in in delaware and we were doing like um, rhapsody in blue or something and then at the the post uh thing somebody asked the the teacher's like, oh, what about Gershwin? And didn't he write a lot of musicals? And the, 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 um, the, the conductor of the, the community orchestra said, yeah, he wrote a bunch of them, but they're all terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, now I think back on that experience and I'm like, because I am a complete Gershwin musical nut, <laughs> right? I have listened to all Gershwin musicals. They are like all at the top of my list. And there's a series of studio recordings in the 1990s that was done with the Gershwin Foundation, and they're all like complete winners. And so, one of the weird musicals that I really like, which I think has a bad reputation, is Strike Up the Band, and it, you know it has the book by um, uh, Kaufman, uh, George Kaufman, and it is so crazy satirical, and it's so biting in like the military-industrial complex, and you know how everything about war is just about money Hmm. and you know how people don't care about all these people's lives being put in jeopardy and the death you know because it's all just about money and power and i feel like it's a musical which could be done today yeah about ukraine and russia and Hmm. it would be exactly on point and so it's and and the music is just insanely good and also the the cd has a picture of George and Ira Gershwin playing ping pong on the cover, <laughs> and I love playing ping pong. And it's been like my dream it, to play ping pong with the Gershwins, which I would, of course, never be able to do.
0: Right. Sounds like a really interesting musical.
1: Apparently, it was a terrible show. Oh wow! Um, but I, I mean, I just love the CD, and you know, I wish I could see it.
0: Uh, who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical, and who is your favorite villain or antagonist?
1: Um, you know, this is so strange because I started thinking about all the heroes and all the antagonists and I'm like, you know, I don't like any of them. Yeah. And this is really bizarre, like Tony, Maria. No, you know, it, it's like <laughs> they all seem like cartoons to me. And, you know, uh, it, I finally ended up on uh, Edith Bouvier Beale from Grey Gardens, you know, Little Edie. And I think it's because like the whole show is about her.
2: Mm -hmm. And you
1: really get to know her. And then there's that song at the beginning of Act Two, which is just insanely good. It's um, the revolutionary costume for today. And when Christine Ebersole does that, and I was able to see it on on Broadway. So I was blessed, right? I don't know. She just seems like a real person that you actually want to to go out and and have lunch with. Yeah. Um, So on the antagonist side, probably a lot of people choose this person. I think um, Mrs. Lovett from Sweeney Todd. And uh, in particular, the Patti Lupone version from the John Doyle, um, you know, directed version on Broadway, uh, where everybody played the music, the the instruments on stage. There was something about Patti Lupone who just inhabited the character, like she was born on stage. (laughs) Patti Lupone is just insanely good.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, When, you know, Mrs. Lovett died, I guess she's thrown into the uh the the oven, right? Yeah. I cried.
2: Oh man. And it, it yeah. wasn't
1: because I cried for the character. I cried because, you know, this machine, which was the plot, you know, killed this person who I was enjoying so much.
0: What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of?
1: Um, so I don't know. Maybe other people have heard of it. I, I realized there was an encore's version of it in 2004 but it would be pardon my english it's another gershwin musical like i said i'm kind of a gershwin musical nut but yeah i play that over and over on my um on my uh, cd in the car and you know it's set in germany in 1933 dresden it's just a really delightful harmless just joyful show
0: (laughs) Uh, what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to?
1: Yeah, uh, this is kind of like complete opposite. I was I was lucky to see the screams of Kitty Genovese in New York. Um, I think that's uh, by Will Todd, and oh my God, that show was such a tragedy. And the tragic aspect of it was so intense. And the music and the way the whole thing is so drawn out um, was just insane. And um, you know, I think that that incredible sense of loss and that incredible sense of sadness and that incredible sense of frustration, like all mixed together. And it just, it's unending. It's like, like, like you get onto that train and it's not like you peak. Mm-hmm. And then it, it it's over. It, it like it takes you to a level and then gradually increases that level of of intensity for, I don't know, like a good 40 minutes or something. And it's it, you're just so exhausted by the time it's over. And you really feel like you've been through like this crazy, crazy experience, like it must have been right for Kitty Genovese in the moment. And I think that's that's one of the things where the structure of the show communicates the experience of the character and the experience of the people in a way that is very direct. So it's not telling you, it's really forcing you through that journey. And it's so powerful.
0: Hmm. Wow. It sounds. I, I wish I had seen that. That sounds really great. I mean, we've sort of been talking about music here and there. So let's uh, move into our topic where we'll talk about The changing role of music in musicals. So yeah, why don't you start, I guess, with um, what what drew you to this topic, why you wanted to talk about it?
1: So recently I had an experience with a director. It was one of those kind of weird experiences where I had spent, oh gosh, days preparing a, a beautiful integrated score. And, you know, you and I are both NYU grads and produce these integrated scores so that you can see the whole show from start to finish dialogue, song, dialogue in the song. Uh, You know how everything stitches together from start to finish. And it's like 200 pages or something. And so then I take this proud baby of a work and I've slaved over to the director. And he says, I don't need that. Just give me the script. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, "Uh, wait a minute. Uh, you don't need the music. And he's like, no, I don't need the music to direct the show. (laughs) The whole thing just made me, I was just floored. It's a musical, (laughs) right? How can you direct a musical without at least hearing the music or seeing the music? It was so frustrating because I had composed jokes into the music and that none of them made it into the show. And i had composed careful, endings to all the songs, you know, with buttons and a little bit of action, right? And a button and things like that. None of that made it into the show. And then, you know, I don't think he trusted the music actually. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: he kind of overblocked a a lot of the songs. And so the actors were so busy doing stuff, they couldn't just sit there and deliver the song like as a performance. A lot of people Don't get the why we have music in a musical, (laughs) and so I thought maybe it would be useful to say, well, you know, these are some of the reasons why we have music in a musical, and also kind of perhaps to look at the changing role of music in a musical. Because when I started, like at NYU, uh, you know, whatever that was, um, I had a a certain mission, like what this is what I'm going to do as a composer. You know, I'm going to make music that is of the place and period in such a way that's, you know, truly in, um, organic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I see that that's only one dimension of way uh, of looking at it. So uh, I thought it would be useful to sort of talk about all those different dimensions. I mean, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm curious, when you think about music in a musical,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what sorts of things do you think of like the purpose of the music uh, in, in a musical?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Cause like, we often talk about like the purpose of songs, which is like music and lyrics together. But if you're just thinking about the music, I mean, I think there's a lot of tone setting <laughs> with music. Emotion. Yeah. Emotion. Right.
1: A level of activity, level of happiness, level of yeah. sadness. The-
0: and also tension creating. And I don't just mean like, you know, Building up tension to a a major event, but like, you know, in terms of like, you know, this is a happy song, but the lyrics are not happy. You know, that kind of like a tension between music and lyrics, like Mm -hmm. serve that purpose, or
2: oh yeah,
0: sad song. Like these are sad lyrics, but the music is happy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing. Like what you know, so what is going on there? So it can it can create these tensions.
1: I have this theory that it's impossible for the music to lie Mm. that people can lie with the words yeah but that the music is always the honest feeling of the character
0: Mm. yeah do
1: you think that's true
0: it could it could be or it i i think either that or the music is supporting a lie that we know to be a lie maybe like if so, if a song is a lie and it's like a going like the i can see the music like going along with the lie but i feel like in those cases the audience usually knows it's going it's it's a lie
1: well you know i was going to talk about this a little bit later but there's that great song from Hamilton
0: mm-hmm. right
1: uh which is you'll be back right by the king yeah and he's saying and i'm going to kill your brothers and sisters Right. And when this war, but the music itself is very like overproduced Marvin Hamlish style, like chorus line type music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's a disconnect clearly between the music and the words that he's saying.
2: Right. <clears throat>
1: but I, I feel like in that case, the music is telling how he really feels like it's it's like it's like how the character really feels even though they may be saying these words this is how they really feel they feel like they're a diva you know in a Marvin Hamlish musical
0: (laughs) yeah I'm thinking of like like what musicals do characters lie like maybe in or like deceive like maybe in like uh like wicked or something you have music like supporting like the wizard you know being but it's like you know he but you know he's lying it, you know they're deceiving so like the music supports that that kind of thing is what i'm thinking of sure but because with music you're not you're you're not experiencing it usually on like a a thought level you're usually experiencing it experiencing it on a like emotional level or a visceral level or however you want to call it so
1: it gets it's, inside you right you, yeah. you can't help but feel it
0: yeah. So I think you're on to, you're definitely onto something there where like, it it has to be telling the truth because it's what you're going to feel about the moment. You know, it's, it's, you're not going to, you're not usually going to say like, oh, like this feels this way, but maybe that's wrong. You know, you're just going to feel it, <laughs> you know, that way.
1: So I, I think you, I, I completely agree. And I, and I think you can have, um I, I would further say it's what the character who's singing it is feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're, you're, you're taking on their feelings. So they can say something completely awful. But if the music is upbeat, then, you know, they feel upbeat about it, which makes it even more horrifying, right? That they're able to say these things and still feel happy about it, right?
2: Right, right.
1: <laughs> but then the, at the same time, they could be saying these things that are, you know, quite nice, but the music would be very, very sad. I What's that? Oh, there was a show, uh, 42nd Street, or uh, they sing the Christmas song. Mm. right and um originally it was supposed to be an upbeat happy song and they slowed down the music and um you know i'll be here for christmas or something and uh it made it a very very sad song even though the lyrics are you know quite quite you know happy lyrics and then it just becomes so so sentimental and so incredibly sad because the words are happy but the music is sad yeah
0: yeah yes the stuff like that and um you had uh mentioned here just like uh things music does uh, other things music does in a show like provides a framework and rhythm uh for a song as right well. i mean
1: we have structure to all our songs we have aaba and we have verse chorus mm-hmm. and of course there's different music for the a's and the b's and the verses in the chorus and it's the music that you know gives an audio clue like if you just read it as poetry mm-hmm. i don't it'd be a way way harder to tell oh, this is a verse, this is a chorus, <laughs> yeah. right? The music, like, you, you know that right away. And like the hook, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody
1: knows what the hook is because it's always, you know, punched up by the, the composer.
0: Yeah, like the the hook being like the the key idea of the song. Usually it's like the title. Um, but yeah, definitely the music is giving you, and it makes your ear and your, I guess your emotional experience of the song, like return to that idea, like you're, you're internalizing that, I, that idea of the song in the hook uh, through the music of it, yeah.
1: Exactly. And even better if the hook sort of changes meaning as it goes goes along, right? Mm-hmm. They, I guess there's that song in Cabaret, So What? That's right.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that So What song, which we studied in school.
0: Right, I remember. And,
1: and you know the, the meaning of that changes as you go through the verse chorus and you hear your whole, her whole story. And it becomes ever more more poignant, mm-hmm. right? When you see hear all the things that she's she's um, missed in her when life. When you're
3: as old as I. Is anyone as old as I? What difference does it make? An offer comes, you take. For the sun will rise and the moon will set, and you learn how to settle for what it will all go on if we're here or not so who cares so what so who cares so what when I was a girl my summers were spent by the sea so what and I had a maid doing all of the housework not me so what now I scrub up the floors and I wash down the walls and I empty the chamber pot if it ended that way, then it ended that way. And I shrug and I say, So what? For the sun will rise and the moon will set. And you learn how to settle for what you get. It will all go on if we're here or not. So who cares? So what? So who cares? So what?
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because I remember our, my first assignment at NYU. We uh, it was to write an A A B A song where the hook is in the the first two and the last uh, A or you know the first verse second verse and the last verse with the bridge in the, in the with the bridge in the after the second A and uh, our critique of the song was that the B section sounded too sounded too much like a chorus musically we had to rewrite it, you know, so that the A's had the more interesting music material.
2: Right. right? So that the
0: the B section didn't feel like the more interesting part that felt. So that would feel more like a departure (laughs) musically. We preferred (laughs) our, uh, we should have we probably like, if we weren't doing an AABA assignment, we probably would have just turned the song into a verse chorus song. (laughs) But, um, but like you can tell there that it's like where, yeah, where's the most um musically interesting material? That's where, you know, that helps you structure the song and like and, and then like what is the song, what form is does the song have and what form and how are you using that form to tell the story? So it all it all connects that way too.
1: Exactly. And you know, so the music is critical, right? To give the you um the ear these audio clues and the critique you got was that the music was confusing to the structure of the song Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: uh i mean so that that's 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 obviously a key part to the music for the for the structure of the song i mean there's a a lot of other reasons right like in the old days there was no um uh no microphones it and you can project more if you're singing and more people can hear you if you're singing and so just just for audio reasons you know opera reasons and just communication reasons in a large audience um, and so, then you want music for that. I think music has a repetition built in,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so it, you you hear that you know all songs have repetitions built in, and so you can you know repeat that same idea. Um, you know, it it can give more weight to the words over just speaking them. Um, provides a subtext. So I think we already talked about that. Uh, I think it outlines if it's done right, it can outline you know, the correct cadence of the words. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: I think they're easier to hear, you know, in an an audience, in a a theater setting. And then of course, you know, I think we already talked about the tone. It expresses the tone of the the show at the moment.
0: Yeah, so I guess, do we want to like, timeline-wise go back to how music was used in musicals in the early musical theater?
1: Yeah, because I think, uh, especially musical style,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know has changed a lot and uh, I think it's changed a lot in our lifetime which I think is really interesting Mm -hmm. like like when we started and we watched Avenue Q for example and then you know we look at all you know all the Sondheim songs and then we see you know Hamilton and Spring Awakening and things like that I think it's just changed a lot kind of in our lifetime okay so there's sort of three um sort of angles to how music uh uh, music style, I'd say, is used inside of of musicals, and I, that I think has changed over time in really substantial ways. And, you know, there's this this idea of of uh, a musical being sort of a a performance with a story around it, mm-hmm. like in vaudeville times, maybe, versus a, a fully integrated book musical um, like Rogers and Hammerstein um, and Sondheim. And so that's, that's sort of one sort of style of music, right? How much is the music subordinate to the story or how much is the story just a way to sort of string a bunch of songs together? Mm-hmm. And I think that's changed back and forth, which I think is really interesting. As I mentioned, I'm a, a Gershwin nut. And yeah. so I've been listening to a lot of Gershwin songs and all Gershwin songs just have these show-stopping numbers just stuck in the middle. And maybe if you're George Gershwin, you can get away with that, right? I, I mean, I'm not sure I could compose a musical with the song in the middle that is so good that nobody cared why it was there,
2: right? right.
1: <laughs> like you just, you're just, you just going along and in the story and the plot and then somebody just stands up and says, I'm gonna sing a song. <laughs> and then they sing a song. Because <laughs> I think if you know, we've been in that case where we've gone to musicals and there was a song in the middle that had nothing to do with anything, And where you're looking at your watch and you're like, this is such a waste of time. And can we please move on? Right. But George Gershwin is somehow able to make it work. Right. And, you know, like, I think my favorite is Fascinating Rhythm. Mm. And, you know, you read the script for Lady Be Good. And they just, there is no setup. None at all. Basically, the, the, the main character, he just pulls out a ukulele start strumming the ukulele and they launch into the song and then they move right on there's nothing that that song has to do with the plot in any way and yet it is a, such a show-stopping number it is just off the top off, off the charts good
3: fascinating rhythm you got me on the go fascinating rhythm i'm all with her. what a mess you're making the neighbors want to know why i'm all shaking each morning I get up with the sun they Start a-hopping never stopping To find at night no work has been done I know that once it didn't matter But now you're doing wrong when you start to patter I'm so unhappy Won't you take a day off, decide to go away Sell me far away off and make it snappy oh, how I long to be the girl I used to be Fascinating rhythm, oh, won't you stop picking on
0: me yeah. Maybe like it was just like audiences expectations at the time that they were just like going to go hear like really good George Gershwin music. Could it be just because of George Gershwin? Like, I just want to hear <laughs> George Gershwin music here.
1: I think you're right. I mean, I mean, maybe everyone thought that plot stuff, like, can we please get through all the dumb plot stuff so we can hear the good song? Right. <laughs> right. Maybe it was completely reversed. Like everyone was like, Oh, screw the plot. That's just something I have to suffer through padding, right? Right. (laughs) Before we get to the good song. I don't know. I mean, maybe that was totally the case.
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of is like that a little bit today with like jukebox musicals. It seems like a similar thing where people go and they're like, I know there's a plot here. But I'm really just here to to hear you know all of Tina Turner's songs <laughs> right and are just waiting for like the Tina Turner songs that they know to come up because although I guess with George Gershwin that was new material. so it was a different uh, experience.
1: Oh, completely. And you know I think with it, it's interesting because jukebox box musicals, it feels like a bit of a return to that sort of con- you know songs as a concert. Mm-hmm. you know in the middle of a, a show uh, and then then I you know I think they try and finesse it a little bit by saying oh we're going to do a show about a singer mm-hmm. so it's natural that they're going to get up and sing you know like Jersey Boys right and so they sing you know uh, Big Girls Don't Cry because yeah. you know that's a, a key song that they have to sing and everyone's waiting for it and then they get up and do it and everybody knows the song so it's not like you're like you're looking at your watch, wondering when the plot's gonna continue. You're right. like, I'm here for that song. So I'm right, gonna right. enjoy that song. <laughs> Which I think is great. And that's the other thing I think, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure you've been through this where p- the critique has always been like, that song doesn't move the plot forward,
2: mm-hmm. cut
1: it. And I, 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 every show I've ever done, there's at least two or three songs in that show. And they say, cut those songs because they don't move the plot. And I'm like, those are really good songs. You know they're really fun songs. And they're like, nah, it doesn't move the plot forward. Cut And then they are like, what do you mean by move the plot forward? Like, you hear about the character, they get a chance to emote, the the charm song. You know, isn't there such a thing as a charm song anymore?
0: It is hard because I think another another purpose of music in a show is to, could be like to if a show is really dramatic and intense let the audience relax for a little bit. Or, or yeah, like endear yourself to a character with a charm song, you know? Like Les Mis, an inten- a very intense show has some like comical songs and you could have like a show that was all intense as well. Like you can do that. But I think a purpose of music in those moments of like Master of the House is to like, yeah, play, <laughs> play with play with like tension and release too. Master of
4: the house, keeper of the zoo, ready to relieve them of a soup or two. Watering the wine, making up the weight, picking up the knickknacks when they can't see straight. Everybody loves the landlord, everybody's bosom friend. I do whatever pleases Jesus, won't I bleed them in the end?
1: And uh, I don't know, there's just so many songs or so many shows which have like a singer like Rent, right? They Mm -hmm. have the indie singer who's their friend. Mm -hmm. And so then they go to a show of hers, right? And then she sings a song, you know, about the plight of the Bohemians, I suppose, or the... Um, But that's a little more integrated, right? Mm -hmm. One of the... I I had these two examples showing the difference between a a song in a cabaret, which kind of had no purpose, and then a song in a cabaret, which did have a purpose. And I think it's really interesting because pardon my English, right, which was written in
2: 1933,
1: mm-hmm. and is set in Germany with a German cabaret singer mm. who sings about her cousin from Milwaukee, <laughs> <It's> so great, <laughs> and with voice so squawky, <laughs> and it's, it has no purpose, right? there's yeah. nothing about that song that moves anything forward it's just a song yeah you know my cousin in Milwaukee <laughs> with the voice so squawky <laughs> <laughs> and it's just and it's a great song it's really fun
2: yeah and I
1: think it's because the singer that they hired was known for her squawky voice right The performer was known for the her squawky voice so I think they made a song just for her
3: And it's an operatic. It's got a lot of static, but makes your heart get acrobatic. Nine times out of ten, when she sings hot, you can't be solemn. The sends the shivers up and down your spinal column. When she sings blue, the men shadow "What's up?" That baby is hot.
1: But then you go to 1966 with the actual musical Cabaret, which is set in 1930, which is also a German cabaret and also has a cabaret singer singing in the cabaret. And I I think the example there is is Money, right? Mm -hmm. And then that song has an intensity and a commentary on what's happening. Right. So I think somebody's getting bribed or somebody needs to, they need to do something unethical at that point to get money mm. and the song money and about how money, you know, the world goes round, uh, is, is a, is an intensifier on that action. And, um, and so that's a great way I, I think to, to, to show that, that same moment. And I think it's also great to see those two styles from 1930 from 1966 to see you Know the the masters, Candor and Ebb, you know, are able to 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 take that same genre and then you know take it up a notch.
3: Money makes the world go around, the world go around, the world go around. Money makes the world go around, it makes the world go around. A marker, yen, a buck, or a pound, a mark, a, a, a of so it, it makes the world go around. A a a clank, clank, that clinking, clanking sound can make the world go round <laughs> Money, 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 If you happen to be rich, and you feel like a night's entertainment, you can read for the escapade. If you happen to be rich and alone and you need a companion, you can ring a for the mate. If you happen to be rich, should you find you are left by your lover and you moan and you go by a lot, you can take it on the Chin caller cap and begin to recover on your fortune car
0: Yeah, I mean, should we go talk a little bit more about music in terms of setting, location, and place? Um, cause I know there's a, that's another huge way that music is functioning in a musical, uh, just in terms of like either time period or location. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, I think when, when at least, um, you know, when I was starting comp- composition, there was the, the Broadway musical style, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mus- musicals were just written in a style. And that might change for the different composers. Like there was a Sondheim style, and there was a Marvin Hamlish style, and you know there might have been a, you know, um, but you know when uh, those composers that had a style, they would compose every every show, no matter the situation, in that style. You know, I I, I think back to. Um, this quote by Richard Rogers. And this is like, when I was starting out as a musical theater composer, I'm like, I am not going to do the Broadway style. I'm going to tailor my style to the exact point uh, in the in, in history for that moment, mm-hmm. right? And this quote by Richard Rogers, I had always thought was really telling uh, where he says, In a great musical, the orchestration sounds the way the costumes look. And I thought that was really interesting because it's like he felt I could write a song and then it could be orchestrated to be of the moment, Hmm. which I always felt was really shallow. Like, and you, and I think the King and I is a great, great example. If you listen to the, the, um, the King and I, and you do the, um, Uh, that processional, right? The, the royal processional music. Uh, And then next to that, you listen to traditional Thai music. Um, They sound nothing alike. I mean, traditional Thai music is in like a seven note scale. And I don't, and I think it's honestly, I think it's a little bit offensive Mm -hmm. to take a Broadway song and then orchestrate it to sound oriental. I mean, it was the 1950s, so you know, I, people didn't care as much, I, I suppose. Um, but I, I can't imagine doing that today. Like Disney Moana, mm-hmm. they they get actual, you know, Samoan composers to help out, like with 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 shows like that. Like, um, and so I think there's there's definitely more sensitivity to that, as rightly so. And you know, and that I think is is this idea of the song, the style of the music is deeper than being able to orchestrate it. Like you have to go all the way down to the, to the bare, you know, mm-hmm. empty staff. And, and maybe not even a staff, maybe some things can't even be written on staffs, right? You know, seven tone, seven note, seven note, note uh, scale, I don't know. Um, but I, I do think that um, there are some uh, uh, shows that really, for me, uh, are of the point in, in time. And so I think Hair.
2: Mm-hmm. is
1: you know like 1960s hair was it and right. it was written by actual rock musicians <laughs> and so it, it comes across of that moment in such a powerful way and I think Rent
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know is close uh, you know um, and but I think my favorite is Wild Party the mm-hmm. Michael John LaCusa version and there's this 1920s flapper song called Uptown and like that is exactly a 1920s song. He like nailed it so perfectly. He like really understood that, you know, really, really deeply.
4: The brothers' dark man have a ticklish treat. A delightful little ditty with a hot new beat. Uptown is looking more like downtown, which is looking more like Uptown every day. Black folks are sounding more like white folks who are sounding more like black folks in every way martha graham and E. B. whitecott wet with ethel waters so while langston hughes pretends he's one of mrs astor's daughters ha! uptown is looking up-town more like town, town which is looking, looking more like uptown every
2: day
1: and then i think there are other cases where people have really tried like cape man mm-hmm. um you know with the puerto rican rhythms and uh so i think i think you know, Paul Simon really studied that and he had help. Yeah. And, and then, then, of course, I think there's also, you know, shows like Fela with those Afrocentric rhythms. Mm-hmm. But then they actually took the music of, of um, Fela right. uh, and, and put that into the show.
0: They, I, I think they say, like, you don't need to have the music of the time period to, to write a show or, or the, of the location to write a show that maybe has a specific setting or a specific time period. Um, but in, I think in some of these cases, it does help in a way if, if that's what you're using the music for, I guess, if that if having that type of music is supporting the story that you're telling in a way or I mean, I'm thinking of like if you're looking back in time, like uh, like I think of Follies, you know, where you, you are commenting on like the the past by using Music or dance forms, you know, from that time.
1: But you're right. There are, are, are intentional cases, I think, especially recently, where the music has nothing to do with the place and time. And the obvious example is Hamilton, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The founding fathers did not sing in, in rap. Uh, and <laughs> so I think, it, but imagine trying to do the musical with music of the period.
0: Yeah, nobody would want, nobody would want to say that.
1: I don't think. I mean, it would be awful, and and I think in part, you know, the music of the period. Well, I guess there's you know just just regular country songs, uh, but mostly it would be, you know, music by aristocracy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, I don't know Bach and uh, Baroque music and uh, you know early classical music and things like that, and uh, and I mean I can't imagine. T- you know, having that style of music, it it wouldn't communicate,
0: right? It's interesting. So yeah, like when you are going that far back, then you have to sort of pick a musical style that does work for the story and not the time period and location.
1: And you want to communicate like, hey, this is a revolution. People's lives are in danger. And, you know, they're, they're inventing things they're inventing a brand new government and this is like a crazy crazy time Mm -hmm. where and it's a very immediate you know like scary dangerous um you know we're breaking away from england and no one's ever done that before you know inventing a new government kind of situation and how do you communicate that so i think that kind of the choice of, of of rap music um, I mean, what I, which I suppose is just uh, Lynn manuel Miranda just choosing his natural style.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it works so well, I think, with Hamilton because I think it represents like that, that revolutionary fervor right. in a way that connects with audiences. So you're actually like there that th- these are the sorts of feelings that people would have felt at the time.
0: Yeah. Although now I am starting to picture a retelling of the, you know, the founding of our of America with uh, music of the time. And it would probably just be like a, a little chamber opera or something <laughs> or something. Maybe we need someone to really stick to it and just do all Baroque and.
1: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, another show that struck me this way, which I thought was really interesting, was Spring Awakening. Mm hmm. Uh, I was fortunate to see that uh, off Broadway and it was one of those weird things where they have, you know, Duncan Sheik, right. Doing rock music for a German 19th century German boarding school. And there is, I mean, there's plenty of great 19th century romantic music um, and musical styles, but you choose rock music, um, but it works so well, I think. And people loved it, and I think it's because it's the interior feeling of, you know, the teenagers. And um, so, how are you going to express what teenagers feel? Well, I mean, you do that with rock music. That makes perfect sense. And so, the fact that we use rock music for Spring Awakening, I just—I don't know. I thought it was brilliant, actually.
0: Yeah, that—that's like an example of like, um, of the tension uh, of a sort of tension between music and words or set or any everything else in that in that show basically uh the music's giving you i guess as you were saying before giving you like the truth uh their emotional truth in conflict (laughs) with everything else going on in their lives
1: yeah i love that so i mean there's a couple other examples that i i really like for this um you know secret garden always Mm -hmm. one of my favorite shows i think it the 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 music has a, a real intimacy um, and sort of a specialness to it that I think, you know, really evokes the place and, uh, you know, the, the feeling of, of being a, a child in that situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I, I think Sweeney Todd's an interesting example, too, because the original Jonathan Tunick orchestration is so rich and so orchestral and so lush. And Um, Then I compare that to Sarah Travis's orchestration for the John Doyle show, Mm -hmm. which is so sparse and so modern. And I love hers way better than Jonathan Tunick's orchestration. You know, as much as I like Jonathan Tunick,
2: right?
1: You know, her orchestration was, it just felt like it was the interior feeling of the characters in this very desperate, incredibly poor, you know, situation. Whereas you have this lush romantic score I think it just sets the kind of the wrong tone and you know i i just i just just love her orchestration for that that was so so great
0: it is true like when i saw that production and was listening to that the 2005 cast recording i it it was hard to then go back to the original and like listen to that again it was really difficult for me eventually i did and now i <laughs> and now i've listened to that again but um, but it is like I guess it's just like the difference between the two productions and the orchestrations really um, fit for each production like the original Jonathan Tunick ones they were for a production that was very big and epic and we're talking about these big ideas of like uh, the industrial revolution and the, the how it affects the people and all this stuff.
4: And the tale of Sweeney Todd His skin was pale and his eye was odd He shaved the faces of gentlemen Who never thereafter were heard of again He trod a path that few have trod Did Sweeney Todd A demon barber of Fleet
0: Street And whereas the 2005 version With the um, Sarah Tri- Excuse me, Sarah Travis orchestrations was for a very intimate, small, like we're in one room the whole time, like with the actors playing their own instruments. And it had it has to be smaller, not just because the actors are playing their own instruments, so you can't have like a huge orchestration, but just they're with the fact that they are in a small room, like like there's no pit, like there's no orchestra pit with that sound. The only sound is coming from the people on the stage. It has to be that small and intimate.
4: attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. His skin was pale and his eye was odd. He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. He trod a path that few have trod. Did Sweeney Todd. The Fleet Street.
0: but it does raise an interesting question of like uh, or just thought of you know how much orchestration itself is playing into uh is playing into all of this whereas like you know sondheim as composer you know i i wonder like how was he thinking about the score for Sweeney Todd was he thinking of it big and grand, was he thinking of it small, like in a this, the 2005 Grand Union like version? Like I want, like when he was composing it, how was he thinking about it?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think that's a really good question. So I, I have a feeling like that orchestration and that whole conception of the show was like how Prince's, you know, um, like uh, commentary on on industrialization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, maybe at the time when the first one came out, I think there was a certain expectation that you go to a, to a musical and you have a certain, you know, Broadway sound, mm-hmm. which has a certain volume to it. I, I don't think that expectation exists anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, and we are talking about how it's changed through time. I definitely pits <laughs> like the size of the orchestra has gotten smaller and, um, you could have a Broadway show with a small band on stage now, which wasn't usually the case.
1: <laughs> I just have one, one factoid yeah. about pit orchestras, which I looked up on Wikipedia, which <laughs> I thought was amazing. You know, one of my favorite um, Gershwin songs is uh, girl crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you know, it has embraceable you in it and you know, all these um, incredible, incredible songs. Apparently, uh, on the opening night pit orchestra for Girl Crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. In
1: the pit was Benny Goodman, Glenn Miller, and Jimmy Dorsey. Wow. <laughs> so I can't imagine having that kind of firepower in your pit orchestra.
0: Awesome. Um, well, great. Uh, we already talked a little bit about you'll be back from Hamilton, but let's do a deeper dive for the Why Is This So Good section. So uh, why did you
1: pick this song for Why Is This So Good? Um, gosh, well, I mean, obviously I love the song. I think lots mm-hmm. of people love the song. I think you're going through, you know, this this rap musical and then this song really sticks out, mm-hmm. right? As being a very different in style. And it also works like incredibly well. And I went back to listen to it and like, like, why did I like that so much? I mean, obviously you have King George and he has a completely disconnected view of what's happening in America. And he's kind of trying to manage it by remote control.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's interesting that the musical style is an older musical style. It's not all the way back to the, you know, nineteen eight sorry, 1770s, right. <laughs> but it, 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 it is almost like 1970s, 1980s. It's definitely a big Marvin Hamish style. And um, yeah, I, I have this kind of have this feeling like Lin-Manuel Miranda must have, li- must have listened to a lot of Marvin Hamlisch growing up, is kind of, kind of my feeling. And it's, I, I love it that it is so self-indulgent, it's so diva, it's so star-driven, right? Like the king. Mm-hmm. And it fits his character so well. And then he's, you know, la-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, like the la-di-da's. It's right. a completely musical moment. Is just hysterical because here he's saying la-di-da and, you know, his armies are marching across uh, America killing people. So I, <laughs> there's something about it that fits so incredibly well.
4: I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da-da,
0: da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah, and it's like we were talking about before that tension of like, this is like really fun music and it's like this horrible. he's being he's so horrible. The things he's talking about are so horrible, and yet, <laughs> and yet you're, you know, singing along with his uh, his song here because the music is so catchy, which is just like so perfect for a character that's in this power position, trying to, you know, get you on his side so he can, you know, rule. And again, I think it's also like the relief moment in the musical too. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different moments in Hamilton. It's not like all intense all the time. And then suddenly there's this, like there's definitely more, a lot of different things going on, but this moment is very like, you can relax and have a lot of fun with this. And I think it serves in that way too.
1: The lyrics are so biting as well. I thought that was great. I, I heard this random story about, um, You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda was uh, uh, having lunch with Hugh Laurie and saying, hey, what what do you think, you know, King George would say? (laughs) And and Hugh Hugh Laurie was like wagging his finger and saying, oh, you'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) And Lin-Manuel Miranda is like, that's it. That's what the song is going to be about. You'll be back.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, (laughs) you'll you'll
1: miss me. (laughs)
0: What a great hook, too. Like, what a great, yeah, what a great line. <laughs> it does capture so much about the relate the relationship between <laughs> America and England or Britain at the time.
1: Exactly. No, it's a great, great song. I, I feel like um, he tried to replicate it in Moana uh, with the shiny song, you know, with the crab. Mm. Uh, it's a very kind of similar song with a similar style stuck in the middle of a show. I don't think it works in Moana though. I, I feel like the shiny song in Moana is definitely the weakest part of that, of that, that musical.
0: Uh, I've actually never seen Moana. So.
1: You should see Moana in the native Samoan. Oh yeah. Disney plus has made a version where they've, they've wow. redubbed everything in the native Samoan. It's much, it's great. It's, it's so, it's actually better than the original, I think. And in a, in kind of a very strange way in the same way, when, um, the Japanese National Theater did Pacific Overtures. Mm. I saw that in D.C. Oh, my God, that was so crazy good. And when you have the Japanese with dreadlocks, um, you know, um, mocking the Americans mm. uh, in Pacific Overtures, that was just, like, fabulous.
2: Wow. And
1: you know, having the Japanese do that show you know, that made it an entirely different show yeah. and it made it so much better. Actually.
0: I it, it reminds me of um, when they did Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. It's like when you see. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. like When you see uh, like I, going in, I didn't think it would change the show for me. But then when you see it done, it's like, oh, wow, like this is so much more honest yeah honest authentic and not that the original version wasn't like honest and authentic but it like adds this layer of of it that
1: it does doesn't yeah. it it's it's oh wow yeah oh my gosh
0: uh but back to this <laughs> back to you'll be back uh and <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Like everybody seems to love this song from the show and I it's but and, and I think I've, I've said this before, like you can just tell Lin-Manuel Miranda is having so much fun with it. Like he like you can just feel him relax, like enjoying writing this song like this is not, uh, you know, something that is all the the intricate rhymes that he's so good at, but I'm sure is. You know probably a lot of. i mean all songs are work but this song feels like it was just like a a joy to just sit down and have a lot of fun with you know and saying, the lyrics
1: are the lyrics are amazing right and they're so biting right and so this right. so is great
0: yeah it really comes across you'll be back
4: like before i will fight the fight and win the war for your love, for your praise And I'll love you till my dying days When you're gone, I'll go mad So don't throw away the thing we heard Cause when push comes to shove I will kill your friends and family To remind you of my love Da-da-da-da-da
0: to our Something Wonderful section, uh, which is just something upcoming or current in musical theater uh, that we are excited about and want to give a shout out to.
1: I think it has to be a strange loop. Mm-hmm. Did you see it on um, uh, Off-Broadway?
0: I saw it Off-Broadway. I'm hoping to see it on Broadway too. Just haven't yet. Um, but uh, I did see it twice Off-Broadway. So wow. I had at least I've seen it. Uh, I saw it there in case I don't get to <laughs> see yeah. it on Broadway. Yeah.
1: I, I saw it off Broadway too. And I was just completely blown away. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, uh, I also just, uh, I, I, and this is a weird connection, but I also just recently saw Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. Yeah. Right. And then it goes through the whole song and they do the show. And then he talks to his agent and the agent says, you know, write another show. And he's mm-hmm. like, what? And she's like, That was like the best line in that whole Mm -hmm. whole thing is like, you're a writer. That's what writers do. You write the next show. That's what you do. And I was like, oh, my God. But then she says, she picks up the phone and says, and please, this time, write it about something, you know. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a strange loop. Oh, my God, that is no one could have written that show. Right. But Michael Jackson. Right. I mean, that is him Mm -hmm. on stage laid out for everyone to see, and it is so courageous, a show. I can't imagine writing that show and thinking, oh, my parents could see this. <laughs> that is a crazy, crazy, confident, you know, courageous thing that he did to put that show out there, and it it, it goes all the way. Mm-hmm. He does not hold anything back, Yeah. and, you know, man, the respect for doing that, and I think, you know, I, I feel like like I'm working on a show now, which is, um, you know, like as 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 musical theater writers, we say, oh, we come up with a story, you know, we work that story, we write a show around that story. But I think that at some point, all of us get to that point where we write our story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And then we put our story out there. And I think maybe that's where we transition from being, I don't know, to, to like a true writer or something. I don't know. I, I don't want to say that, but there's something, there's something about writing your story and putting your story that is transformational, I think. And I I feel like I'm, I, for the first time, I'm, I'm starting on that, that Mm -hmm. show for myself.
0: Thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest, Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e newsletter at Scene to Song. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.